Let's open our Bibles this morning to 2 Samuel chapter number 18. 2 Samuel chapter 18. Today is Missions Sunday at Walridge Baptist Church. And one of the things we try to do on Missions Sunday is give an emphasis to both our personal responsibility in sharing the gospel and then also our privilege to get to partner with uh, uh, local independent Baptist church missionaries going out planting churches doing a work for God. And so we're going to do a little bit of both of that today. Tonight in the evening service, we're going to hear from one of those missionaries and we're excited to have the Midkiff family with us tonight. You'll be praying for the service tonight. This morning, I want to take a few moments of your time and I want to preach a message that may be a little bit unusual uh, compared to what we normally preach on, what we normally hear uh, from the Word of God. Uh, but the Lord spoke to my heart about it. I believe it will be a help to you and I. Uh, and I believe it will encourage us in the sharing of the gospel. I believe it will develop us in the sharing of the gospel. There is a lot that goes on today that is called gospel that is not gospel. And uh, some of these things I'm against, and some of them I'm not necessarily against. I just wish they wouldn't call it something that it's not. I'm not against buying shoes for kids that need shoes. Uh, I'm not against digging wells. I'm not against, I mean, I'm against me personally digging a well, but I'm not against you going and digging a well. I, I'm not against, uh, you know, getting boxes together and, and care packages. And I think all that is good. And I think in as much as that may open the door for the giving of the gospel, I think it can be a useful thing. Uh, but uh, did you know somebody can go to hell with new shoes? And somebody can go to hell with, uh, with clean water. And somebody can go to hell with a full belly. And uh, none of these things in and of themselves are the gospel or the work of the gospel. They may be an open door to the gospel, and I praise the Lord for that. We have missionaries that are engaged in those kinds of things because they open the door to the giving of the gospel. But those things in and of themselves are not the giving of the gospel. By the same token, a lot of what you'll hear called gospel preaching today, if you were to turn on a television or a radio or uh, or uh, tune in on an internet broadcast. A lot of things they call the giving of the gospel are not. Uh, they are motivational speaking. They are self-affirmation. They are rooted in pagan psychology and idolatry. And, and it's it's not the giving of the gospel. But, you know, the Word of God tells us what the gospel is. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, that's not where we're reading from, but in 1 Corinthians 15, God gives us exactly the gospel. Uh, the Apostle Paul says, I declare unto you that which I also first received, how that Christ... Uh, died according to the Scriptures, was buried and rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. That's the Gospel, the truth and reality of the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And then what that implies about your life and mine. For instance, hey listen, uh, if we weren't sinners, we wouldn't need a Savior. So if we have a Savior, then we have to admit that we're a sinner. Amen? And uh, so I think there are a lot of people today that are, are telling part of the good news. And uh, I would say this, they're telling half the story. And in 2 Samuel chapter 18, we have a man that brings tidings to the king. And they are good tidings. And they are tidings that must necessarily be brought unto the king. But they fall short of the king's approval and of the king's acceptance. And here's why. Because the runner that comes to him on this day, he only tells half the story. So I want us to begin reading in 2 Samuel chapter 18. We're going to begin reading in verse 19 to give you a little bit of an idea. We preached last Sunday morning on Absalom and his insurrection, his disobedience to his father David. If you were to fast forward a few chapters to where we were at this morning, that rebellion has been put down. Absalom has died and uh, David has not yet heard of the death of Absalom. And Joab and his men who were there present when Absalom died, they must deliver news to the king 
concerning Absalom's death and concerning the quelling of that rebellion. It says in verse 19, Then said Ahimeaz, the son of Zadok, Let me now run and bear the king tidings, how that the Lord hath avenged him of his enemies. And Joab said unto him, Thou shalt not bear tidings this day, but thou shalt bear tidings another day. But this day thou shalt bear no tidings, because the king's son is dead. So you see there's two aspects to this news. One is that David's enemies have been killed, and two is that David's son has been killed. And Ahimeaz wants to carry this news. Joab will not let him. The Bible says in verse 21, And said Joab to Cushai, who was an Ethiopian servant, said, Go tell the king what thou hast seen. And Cushai bowed himself unto Joab and ran. Then said Ahimeaz, the son of Zadok, yet again to Joab, But howsoever let me, I pray thee, also run after Cushai. And Joab said, Wherefore wilt thou run, my son, seeing that thou hast no tidings ready? But howsoever said he, let me run. And he said unto him, Run. Then Ahimehaz ran by the way of the plain and overran Cushai. David sat between the two gates, and the watchman went up to the roof over the gate under the wall and lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man running alone. The watchman cried and told the king, and the king said, If he be alone, there is tidings in his mouth. And he came apace and drew near. The watchman saw another man running, and the watchman called unto the porter and said, Behold, another man running alone. The king said, He also bringeth tidings. The watchman said, Methinketh the running of the foremost is like the running of Ahimeaz, the son of Zadok. The king said, He is a good man, and cometh with good tidings. And Ahimeaz called and said unto the king, All is well. And he fell down to the earth upon his face before the king and said, Blessed be the Lord thy God, which hath delivered up the men that lifted up their hand against my lord the king. The king said, Is the young man Absalom safe? And Ahimeaz answered, When Joab sent the king's servant and me thy servant, I saw a great tumult, but I knew not what it was. The king said unto him, Turn aside and stand here. And he turned aside and stood still. And behold, Cushai came. Cushai said, Tidings, my lord the king, the Lord hath avenged thee this day of all them that rose up against thee. The king said unto Cushai, Is the young man Absalom saved? Cushai answered, The enemies of my lord the king, and all that rise against thee to do thee hurt, be as that young man is. The king was much moved, and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, thus he said, O my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would God I had died for thee, O Absalom, my son my son. Let's pray together. Father, what a privilege it is to be in your house this morning. So many places we could have been, so many places we should have been, but here we find ourselves, the redeemed of the Lord, standing whole in the righteousness of Christ, in the presence of your people, with your holy, inspired, infallible, inerrant, preserved word, with the Holy Ghost ministering amongst us. Lord, everything's here present for you to do a great work if only our hearts will be surrendered. So I pray that you help us to be obedient. Help us to have our hearts open to the truth of Your Word today. May You put in us a fire and a burden, Lord, to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth to a lost and dying world, for it is their only hope. Lord, if there's one amongst us that is lost and undone, and there could be two or three, there could be a dozen, we do not know, Lord, or I do not know. You know, and Lord, they know if they're lost, but I do not know the heart's condition of these here. But if there be any lost under the sound of my voice, May they see, Lord, that there's good news in the good news, but there's good news in the bad news too. There's help for them. There's hope for them. If they'll only trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, we'll be sure to thank You for it. Lord, we love You. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So in our passage this morning, we have the king waiting expectantly to hear news concerning the battle and concerning his beloved son. And we have two runners, one by the name of Ahimeaz, the son of Zadok. He was a friend to David. He was a, a his family was friends to David. They had been loyal to him. In fact, uh, he is in the camp of Joab because he was one of those that had left when the insurrection had happened. I'm saying that to say, by all accounts, Ahimeaz is a good man. And he does love the king. And he does want to be a help to the king. Then we have a man by the name of Cushai. We don't know a lot about Cushai from his name. We assume he's an Ethiopian. That was an Ethiopian name. It would seem to suggest that he is a servant, the way that Joab speaks to him and commands him. Uh, and these two men are given tidings. And they are sent unto King David. What I'm interested in is the fact that these two men were treated very differently when they get in the king's presence. What was the difference between the tidings that they told? I would say we could summarize it in this simple fact. That Cushai tells the whole truth. There is good news for David. His enemies have been overthrown. But there is also bad news for David. For his uh, precious son has been slain as well. Ahimeaz comes and he's happy to bring the good news. How many of you know it's always good to be the one that brings the good news? He brings the good news. He tells him that the enemies are overthrown. But then at a crucial moment in this story, David looks at him and asks, is my son, is the young man Absalom safe? And at that moment, Ahimeaz had a choice. He knew the truth. He knew that there was not only good news, but bad news. But he chose to neglect the bad news, to save face, and to maintain standing before the king. And because of that, he is set to the side, he is disregarded, because his news, though it may have been good, was not meaningful to David in the way that David had hoped. I want to preach to you this morning on this thought, the good news without the bad news. Can I tell you that the uh, gospel is both good news and bad news? Can I give you a New Testament verse that will just go ahead and settle it so you don't have to look at me funny when I say that. I know that the term gospel means the good news, the good tidings. I'm aware of that. But you know, uh, the good news is only good news if the bad news accompanies it. Let me just read a New Testament verse may make abundantly clear what I mean. In Romans chapter 6, Paul says this in verse 23, For the wages of sin is death. That's the bad news. But there's good news. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Can I say much gospel preaching today focuses on the good news that God loves the sinner, that God died for the sinner, that God has a plan for the sinner. And can I say I wholeheartedly endorse telling the good news. I think we ought to tell the good news. Listen, I think we are tasked with telling the good news. It is incumbent upon us to tell a broken and lost world that God loves them, that He died for them, that He's interested in them, that He has a plan for their life. Can I tell you something this morning? The good news ain't going to mean much without the bad news. Because, you know, we have a world that is inundated with the good news, but the bad news has not been told to them. And we have a world that is content for this idea of Christianity to coexist alongside their self-worship, but they do not see themselves as broken and in need of the Savior. They've been told the good news. Probably if you walked up and down the streets of Knoxville and said, who's Jesus? Just about everybody would say, well, He's the Son of God. 
If you were to say, well, what did Jesus do? Probably just about everybody, and it's not like this everywhere, I know, but here in Knoxville, that's where God's planted us and put us. You'd walk up and down the streets, you'd go through the grocery stores, and if you asked, what did Jesus do for you? Probably most people would say He died on the cross. Uh, If you were to ask them uh, what Jesus can do for them, they'd probably say, well, a Christian believes that Jesus can take them to heaven, can forgive them of their sins. They'd heard the good news. But if you were to ask most of them, now, do you believe you're a sinner destined to hell in need of salvation? Most of them would say, well, now, I don't know about that. I think I'm probably a pretty good person. And I think the reason for this is twofold. One, it is the propensity of man to believe he's okay. But I believe there are a great many people that have simply never heard clearly this idea of us being lost, of us being sinners, not because we're bad people in our behavior or actions, although we would all should and and could admit that we are, but because we are born in that lost condition. I, I can't tell you the numbers of times I've had people say things like this, well, I was born as a Christian. No, you weren't. I wasn't. Nobody's ever been born as a Christian. Uh, you weren't born as a Christian. You might have got born again. If you got born again, that made you a Christian. But you weren't born a Christian. But it, it is endemic in society today. I'm talking about it is epidemic in society. It is everywhere for people to believe they're just born right. They're born okay. They're all right. Uh, they're okay being friendly with Jesus and friendly with church. Uh, they're not a sinner. They don't need to be saved. And the reason is they've only been told the good news and not the bad news. Now, I want you to notice three thoughts with me this morning from this passage that may illustrate how we should respond to this reality. Because let me tell you something, if the church don't do something about it, ain't nobody else going to do something about it. Uh, the Freemasons ain't out winning people to Christ. Uh, li- li- you alright this morning? Well, I ain't preached on that in a while. Maybe I need to, amen? I, li- the, uh, listen, I, the, the, the Salvation Army no longer is out trying to win people to Christ. Even when they did, their doctrine was wonky. But I'm saying... They're not out trying to do that. The Rotary Club ain't out trying to win people to Christ. I'm saying, if the church doesn't win people to Christ, they're not going to be one to Christ. It's our responsibility to do this. So how are we carrying this news? Well, notice three things with me. Number one, I want you to consider the runner with me. We don't know a lot about this Ahimeaz. We have a little bit of his history in the past. But the thing that strikes us in this passage is his fervent desire to carry news to David. The Bible says in verse 19 that Ahimeaz, the son of Zadok, he said this to Joab. He said, Let me now run and bear the king tidings, how that the Lord hath avenged him of his enemies. And Joab said unto him, Thou shalt not bear tidings this day, but thou shalt bear tidings another day. But this day thou shalt bear no tidings because the king's son is dead. Now people have disagreed and people have uh, talked and and fussed a little bit about what Joab was trying to do here. It's possible out of love for Ahimeaz, he did not want Ahimeaz to be forever associated with the giving of this news of the death of David's son. It's also possible Joab, and if this is the case, he was right in this, did not have confidence that Ahimeaz would have nerve enough and have stomach enough to deliver this bad news. But whatever the reason was, Joab says that you can bear tidings another day, but you can't bear them today because the king's son is dead. Down in verse 22, Ahimeaz doesn't leave it alone. Then said Ahimeaz, the son of Zadok, yet again to Joab, but howsoever, let me, I pray thee, also run after Cushai. Joab said, Wherefore wilt thou run, my son, seeing that thou hast no tidings ready? Can I just pause and make a statement here? Uh, That's the reality of a lot of gospel preaching today. The reason they fill it with so much psychology, the reason they fill it with so much cultural stuff is because there's really nothing there in the first place. If you're not going to tell people they're lost and need to be saved, what are you doing behind the pulpit? 
If you're not going to tell people they're lost, I'm talking about preaching to sinners. I understand the preaching, the ministry, the local church involves the expounding and teaching the Word of God. We do a lot of that. But I'm talking about when a man stands in the pulpit and he claims to be someone trying to preach to lost men, trying to reach them with the Gospel, he's standing in front of sinners. If you're not going to preach the Gospel, what's the point in being there? They fill it with a lot of fluff. They fill it with a lot of psychology and a lot of quotes and a lot of things. And and, and I listen, but uh, the reality is they have no tidings. And Joab looked at him and said, why do you want to run? You ain't got nothing to say. Uh, and the Bible says in verse 23 uh, that Ahimeaz looked at him and said, but howsoever said he, let me run. And he said unto him, run. You know, one thing I'll say for Ahimeaz, he was committed. He was committed. I mean, there, there wasn't no lack of get up and go in Ahimeaz. I avoid running at all costs. But the, I mean, there are certain situations I've been, I remember years ago, I think I probably told this story years ago, my, my brother decided he wanted to uh, get into some of this martial arts stuff, this this Krav Maga stuff, and um, the, the the Israeli like martial arts. And and he talked me into one time. He said, "Go down to this place with me." He said, "They've got a free class. You don't even got to pay. I just want to check it out. I just want to see what it is. We'll go down. And we'll we'll see this class." And um, I said, "Yeah, I'll go down with you. I got nothing going on. Let's go down. Let's see what it is." So you know, we we get down there and and we're sitting in the class and they explain a few things to us and they say now. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to loosen up and we're going to stretch and everything. And the way we're going to do that is we're going to run laps. And it was not a big room. It was maybe half the size of this sanctuary. And so here's, you know, 15, 20 of us or something. And they said, we're just going to run in loops. And so we started running. And I was doing pretty good. And then he said, now here's what I want to do. He, he said, I want you to turn around and I want you to run backwards. And I said, I don't know about this. But I did it. I turned around and I jogged and I was doing pretty good. And I thought, well, okay, I can do this. I'm in better shape than I thought I was. And we ran backwards for a while. He said, now I want you to turn sideways and I want you to crisscross your legs as you run. I said, what? And he said, just keep going. And we ran for, it was probably something like 45 seconds. But it felt like 45 minutes. And finally, man, I just they had a little bench there and I just collapsed on it. And I just laid there breathing or trying to breathe. And the guy that ran the class, he came over and said, are you okay? I said, I said, I'm okay. He said, are you sure? Do you need some water? So I said, I just need to lay down. I'm okay. He, he and then like after about ten minutes of me laying there, he came over. He said, "Well, do you want to get up and join back in the class?" I'm like, he said, "Are you sure?" I mean, listen. And I remember he said something to me. He said, "What are you going to do if somebody attacks you?" I said, "I'll shoot him." <laughs> I'm not a runner, man. I'm not. But this man was. He was a runner. He was somebody who's willing to go. He was committed. I mean, if you was having Tuesday night door knocking, Ahimeaz would have been there. He was willing to go. He was willing to run. If you had had a track challenge, we're going to have another one in October, another track day challenge. Man, he would have been turning card after card after card. This was a man that was committed. But you know, commitment is not enough. We talk about commitment a lot because it's so lacking in uh, Christian character today. But the fact is, you can be committed and still be ineffective. So how do you know that, preacher? Look at Jehovah's Witnesses. They're committed. Look at the Mormons. Man, they're committed. You, you and I wouldn't get out there and ride on a bicycle up down 90 degree weather. They will. But are they doing anything uh, that redounds under the glory of God? No, they're not. They're leading people astray. They're destroying lives. They're leading people into a cult. I'm saying this this morning. Hey, it's not enough to be committed. Let me say number two. The Bible goes on to say in verse 23, then Ahimeaz ran by the way of the plain and he overran Cushai. Now what that means is he passed him. So this man wasn't just committed, he was capable. He knew how to run. 
he was faster than Cushai. And if it's true uh, that Cushai is an Ethiopian, man, that's a feat. Somebody say amen right there. You watch the Olympics, that's all it is, man. It's Ethiopians. they got uh, legs 19 foot long, and they're just, uh, each stride they're passing people up. But this Ahimeaz, he was somebody that was capable. He could run effectively. Can I say this? It's not enough to be committed. And it's not even enough to be capable. You and I, we need to be capable. And I think that in our, in our desire to see everybody involved in the sharing of the gospel, we sometimes minimize the importance of being capable. Now let me tell you something. If you don't know the, the, uh, if you can't quote a bunch of scripture, uh, if you can't go through the Romans road, say, what do I do, preacher? Go ahead and tell them what Jesus did for you. But we ought to all strive to be able to capably share the gospel with people. We ought to strive to be able to take people in the Bible. And if you can't, do what you can do. But that includes trying to make ourselves capable in the sharing of the gospel. It's important that we do our best to have it. Now, let me tell you something. I think one of the great pitfalls in sharing the gospel that people get into is believing it is their responsibility to answer every theological quandary and question that a lost person has. You don't have to do that. If they want to start asking you about Adam's belly button and giants and things like that, you can tell them, look, come to church, ask my preacher. Amen. Study for yourself. I don't know the answer to that. You don't need to get caught in that quicksand. But I am saying the Bible does say we ought to be ready to give an answer for the faith that lies within us. We ought to have a clear explanation of what we believe and why we believe. That explanation may not satisfy the unregenerate mind of a lost man, but we ought to be able to say, this is what Jesus did for me. This is why Jesus can do what He did for me. I mean, listen, most of the time when I'm sharing the gospel with someone, a large bulk of it is just explaining to them who Jesus is and why that because of who He is, He can do what He did. That not just anybody can die for you, but He can die for you because He's perfect. He died on the cross in your place, in my place, and He was righteous and He was perfect. It's important to be capable, but can I say this? It's not enough just to be capable. You ought to be capable, but it's not just enough to be capable. I've known people uh, that could go down the Romans road and they could uh, witness to a Jew from the Old Testament or a Muslim from the Old Testament. They'd go to the New Testament, man, nail the JWs and the Mormons right to the wall. Didn't matter what it was, they knew everything that there was, but they were not effective. You know why? Because it's not enough just to be capable. Uh, There are great theologians alive today that never win anyone to Christ. They'd call themselves great. Somebody say, man, I'm not calling them great, but I'm saying they would call them. And I'm not against theology. I'm not against education. I'm not against those things. I'm saying that those things by themselves are not enough. He was committed. He was capable. But here was the problem. When the moment came that he had to look a man in the eye and tell him the hard truth, he was coward. He was coward. He was unwilling. Now, by the way, can I just point something out? We'll get to this here probably before we're done, but I'm going to jump ahead and get to it right now. When Cushai tells the hard truth to the king, he does it in tenderness and tactfulness. He doesn't say, oh yeah, Absalom's dead body still hanging over there in the tree. It's not what he did. You know, there's a lot of people that believe that it's some feather in their hat to offend a lost person by being caustic or unkind. We shouldn't do that. We ought to be tender. We ought to be tactful. And Cushai, one of the things that amazes me is the tactfulness with which he delivers this news. He basically says to David uh, that all those people that we've slain, that were your enemies, that's how Absalom is now. I mean, in the tenderest terms, he shares this, but he does not shy away from telling the hard truth. Can I say this? Unless we are willing to share both the good news and the bad news, we're not going to be effective. We have to be willing to tell people it's not good enough to believe in anything. You have to believe in 
in Jesus. All roads do not lead to heaven. You are lost if you die how you are right now. You'll die lost if you've not believed on the Lord. You'll die in your lost condition and you'll go to hell. You don't have to die that way. That's the good news. But the bad news is this. You can't look for a Savior unless you're willing to admit you're a sinner. You've got to acknowledge that you're lost. You've got to recognize that you've got a brokenness only God can heal, uh, that you've got a debt that only God can and has paid, and you must receive Him. So he was cowardly. I see the runner. And then I want you to notice the report that is given. Now, there's a few things that interest me, and really what I want to maybe say is the way that David responded to the approach of Ahimeaz and Cushai. The Bible says in verse number 24 that David sat between the two gates and the watchman went up to the roof over the gate under the wall and lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, a man running alone. Now, they did not hear Cushai or Ahimeaz. They didn't hear Ahimeaz approaching. There were no trumpets sounding. There was no uh, horses galloping. This man was running by himself. So how did they know that he was there? I'll tell you how I believe they knew he was there. Because I believe every few minutes probably David was saying, hey, somebody go up and look over that wall, see if you can see anything. Go up and peek over that wall and see there could be tidings coming. The army could be coming. Let's keep a close watch on the horizon. You know why? He wanted to hear the news. Can I say, number one, this report was desired. David was looking for it. David was expecting it. David was longing for it. Can I tell you, this lost, broken world, they, they, and I understand the open hostility against Christianity and the Bible and the Lord Jesus Christ, but despite what the devil would have us to believe, despite what the television would have us to believe, this is still a broken world groping and longing for hope and truth and for pardon from God. We see this in our political system. Uh, the past two presidents that we have had have both been viewed by their respective parties as Messiah figures. Now, you may like that. You may not like what I just said, but it's the truth nonetheless. It was true of President Obama, and it's true of President Trump. He's going to come along, and he's going to fix everything. You know why the world is so susceptible to this? Because they sense their brokenness. They sense their brokenness. The world is, is, is aligning and adjusting itself for the coming of a man of sin that is going to stand up and make that same promise. He's going to say, you elect me, you follow me, you trust me, I'll fix all of your problems. Now, we say, preacher, that's coming one day and what can we do about that? We can't do nothing about the day that that comes, but we can do something about the day that we live in. We can recognize that that is a natural reaction of a broken, lost world looking for a Messiah, looking for a Savior. And I'm telling you this, the world needs and longs for both the good news and the bad news. No telling the millions, billions of dollars that are spent on substances, both legal and illegal, upon health and counsel of all varieties for a world trying to figure out why they're so messed up. They want the news, not just the good news. They want the bad news too. And I'm not saying you won't have somebody get mad at you. I'm not saying that you won't have people that might cuss you. That very well may happen. But I'm saying you'll meet a whole mess of people that are saying, this is what was wrong with This is why I'm so hopeless. This is why I'm so lonely. This is why I'm so sad. This is what the void is in my life. So it was desired. Number two, it was discerned. Verse 27, the Bible says, The watchman said, Me thinketh the running of the foremost is like the running of Ahimeaz, the son of Zadok. And the king said, He is a good man and cometh with good tidings. I don't know how Ahimeaz ran. He must have run goofy like I do. Because you... 
you would have seen him from a distance. You would have known because he ran differently than everybody else ran. David knew who he was and expected to hear news from him. Can I say that not only was this report desired, it was discerned. David recognized Ahimeaz and declared him to be a good man bringing good tidings. He expected to hear the report of the truth. Can I say this? A lost, broken world ought to see something different in us. And inasmuch as they see something different in the way we run this race, man, they ought to, and in fact they do expect to hear what we believe and what it's done in our lives. I understand our current political and cultural environment is such that we are led to believe that Christians don't have a seat at the table. Can I let you know a little secret? We didn't never have a seat at the table. There was never a time when everybody said, you know what we need to do? We need to find out what all these Christians want. <laughs> that was never the case in this world. But can I tell you this? A lost and broken world, broken world expects Christians to be Christians, to live like Christians, to talk like Christians, and to share their Christianity. Famous atheist once said, if I believe what Christians uh, say they believe, I'd crawl across cut glass from one coast to the other coast to reach my lost mother. Uh, the fact is, the world, we're conditioned to believe that we're supposed to keep our Christianity quiet. We're not supposed to share what we believe. But the fact is, that there's a lot of propaganda. There's a lot of pressure to suggest that to us. But the average lost man walking down the street, he'd expect, man, if we've got the good news and the hope of all hope and the answer to life's problems, he would be wondering why we don't share it with people. In other words, go ahead and share the gospel. You'll find that people are not as offended at the prospect of you sharing it as you would think they would be. They expect that if you believe that, you would tell people, and why wouldn't we? we? We know, we don't just believe, we know that we have the answer to life's problem. We know we have the only hope for a lost world. Of course we should share it. And though the world today and culture today would suggest that it is inappropriate for us to share it, the average, here's what I'm trying to get you to understand. There's a difference what you see that comes through that television and what you'll see walking up down the streets. I'm telling you there is a difference there's a difference between what Hollywood wants you to think the world is and what the world really is. And if you'll just go out and start sharing the good news and the bad news, the totality of the gospel, you'll find that there are all kinds of people that expect you as a Christian to tell what God's done in your life. So it was discerned. Number three, it was delivered. The Bible says in verse 28, Ahimeh has called and said unto the king, all is well. And he fell down to the earth upon his face before the king and said, Blessed be the Lord thy God, which hath delivered up the men that lifted up their hand against my Lord the king. Ahimeaz certainly shared a message. He told David that the king's enemies were defeated. And can I say this? If you'll just go to share the gospel, God will open doors for you to do so. That's okay. I'll say it again. If you'll go and share the gospel, God will open doors for you to do so. I'm not saying everybody's going to be thrilled about it. You'll meet those people. I've met those people. I've had doors. I remember hearing my pastor uh, growing up. He used to say, you know, I've only in all of my years only had one person ever slam a door in my face. And I always thought, boy, what am I doing wrong, Brother Ken? Why? <laughs> I've had more than one slammed in my face before. I'm not saying you won't meet those people, but I am saying this. If you'll purpose to run and to tell the news, God will make sure there's open doors. Not only that, it was delightful. David wanted to hear the news that was told to him. This was great news. Any king would be delighted to hear of the defeat of his enemies. And can I just ask you this? I don't understand why we would be reticent to tell a world that God loves them. And I understand, and we'll say a moment about a word about it in a moment, I understand that Ahimeaz wasn't reticent to share that news. 
But I'm saying, why would we be so hesitant to tell the world that God loves them, that Christ died for them, that He has a plan for their life, that He's interested? The world may not care about them, but God cares about them, and He loves them, and He has shown it through the cross of Calvary. It was delightful news, but there was one problem with it. And that problem was it was deficient. He told the good news, but He only told the half of the story. And here's why it was deceitful. The Bible says in verse 29, the king said, is the young man Absalom safe? And Ahimeaz answered, when Joab sent the king's servant and me thy servant, I saw a great tumult, but I knew not what it was. This sounded really good until a man came up running right after him and said, oh no, king, we've known the whole time. I don't know what happened to Ahimeaz after this, but I certainly think he must have been ashamed and embarrassed at the fact that he had deceived the king and lied to him. David looks at him and says, what about Absalom? And Ahimeaz says, well, I don't know nothing about Absalom. I remember hearing two different preachers. And one of them, you'd amen me. And the other one, you'd throw me out of this room probably if I criticized. Get on Larry King, both of them, decades apart, and say, you know, it's not my place to say whether a man that, that doesn't believe in Christ goes to hell. And let me ask you this. Claim to be a preacher of the gospel. Man, if it ain't your job, whose job is it? Well, if your plumber walked in and said, listen, <laughs> it ain't my job to fix your plumbing. I mean, I don't mind coming in and, and telling you some things about plumbing, but if you think I'm going to get down there and get my hands dirty and fix your plumbing, I'm sorry. You have called the wrong person. Who do you think you've called? A plumber? If it's not the responsibility of us as believers that know the news, to tell the news, and whose job is it? And the fact is, Christianity has no coherency without the bad news. Why do we need a Savior if we're not sinners? Why did He go to the cross if we didn't have a sin debt that we couldn't pay? Why did He die if the wages of sin is not death? In other words, without the bad news, the good news is irrelevant. So I see the report that is given. Then notice the response. The Bible says in verse 30, the king said unto him, unto Ahimeaz, turn aside and stand here. And he turned aside and stood still. He responded indifferently to Ahimeaz. You know why? Because Ahimeaz didn't care to tell him what he really cared about hearing, what really was meaningful. So you know what happened? Ahimeaz was shelved. He did all that running. He outrun Cushai. Man, he was committed. He was excited. He had got there sooner than anybody else did. But because he would not tell the whole truth, David said, I'm not interested in that. Go over here and stand aside. He was shoved to the side because he would not tell the whole truth. You know, part of the problem in our sharing of the gospel, while we cannot seem to be effective in doing it, is we're not really sharing the totality of the gospel. We're telling the world something they already know. We're not telling them what they've not heard. I'm not talking about coming up with new things. I'm not talking about new age voodoo. I'm saying if you just tell people, no, all roads don't lead to heaven. No, you're not naturally okay. No, you need to be saved. No, baptism is not enough. No, joining a church is not enough. That is radical in this world's environment today. But instead we tell them a sort of a milquetoast generic message about a generic God with a generic love and we wonder why they respond to us indifferently. He responded indifferently to Ahimeas. How did he respond Cushai. The Bible says in verse 31, Behold, Cushai came. And Cushai said, Tidings, my lord the king, for the Lord hath avenged thee this day of all them that rose up against thee. The king said unto Cushai, Is the young man Absalom safe? Cushai answered. Notice the tenderness, the tactfulness. Cushai answered, The enemies of my lord the king 
All that rise against thee, do thee hurt be as that young man is. He's gentle. He's not ugly. He's not boorish. He's not caustic. He's kind. He's tactful. But he's bold in what he says. And I, I, I'm just, I'm amazed at how explicit verse 33 is in describing what we're talking about this morning. Because the Bible says that the king was much moved. The message of Ahimeaz could not move him. But the message of Cushai moved him. He went up to the chamber over the gate and he wept. He responded indifferently to Ahimeaz. He responded powerfully to Cushai. Why was that? I'll say this and I'll be done this this morning. Consider the reason for that. Why was it he responded so differently to these two men? Now, you and I know sort of a practical answer, right? Because what David really cared about was not the battle. He cared about his beloved son. And you might say, well, preacher, that's unfair. He doesn't love his people. He doesn't care about his people. And Joab, by the way, accused him of that very thing later. But I don't think that's the case. I think that David knew that the battle was going to go his way. I think he understood instinctively and, and probably maybe had a peace from the Lord. He understood that he was going to get that news. That wasn't the news he was wondering about. He already knew it. You know why the world does not respond meaningfully to the telling of half of the gospel? Because you're, you're telling them the half they already know. You're telling them the half that they already know. They expect that. They expect for God to love them. Because we've been raised in an environment where we are told that God only has one temperament and that's love and kindness. We know if we read the Bible, that's not the case. And we know God is love. Praise the Lord. God is light. Praise the Lord. We also understand some fearful things to fall into the hands of an angry God. We understand that God has those aspects of His personality. But the world has heard that already. They're not amazed by it. So what was the reason that he responded the way he did to Cushai? I think twofold. One, because Cushai's message concerned his legacy. Who was going to sit on the throne? after David was dead. Can I say it this way? Cushai's message mattered to David because it had to do with what would happen after David was dead. You know why it's important that we share the totality of the gospel? You know why the world wants... Turn on the History Channel sometime. I know you don't unsubscribe to it because you got tired hearing about Bigfoot and aliens, but just turn it on sometime and consider how much of their programming, which is not written to academics and scholars. Let's go ahead and get honest about that. Turn on National Geographic. Turn on any 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 cable uh, sort of uh, you know uh, educational <laughs> educational programming, and half of their programming has to do with that which is supernatural, that which is otherworldly, and a lot of it has to do with what will happen after we die. There's people make millions on books based upon otherworldly experiences. Half the movies that come out of Hollywood are about the end of the world. Mankind is deeply concerned with what happens in a few moments after they leave this life. And I'm just telling you this, you know why the world wants to hear the bad news? Because the bad news will give them the totality of the good news and it will tell them what's going to happen to them after they die. And they want to know that. And any man that claims they don't want to know that is lying to themselves and lying to others. They want to know because they know sooner or later they're going to face it just like you and I will. It concerned his legacy, his future. But then number two, I'm interested in what David says here. He says, the Bible says, as he went, thus he said, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would God I had died for thee. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. 
I thankfully have never had to endure what David is enduring here. But as a father, I can empathize a little bit with the idea of your whole life being vested in your child. I often will say to my wife or to my children, you are my world. You are my life. You are what makes life meaningful and worthwhile. And what David is saying here is this, life is not worth living without Absalom. Now there is obviously picturesque language here that reminds us of the gospel of Jesus Christ and God giving His Son to die for us and His life being wrapped up and and, and enfolded into the life of Christ. But can I just make a simple application here? You know why David wanted to know what had happened to Absalom? Because as far as David was concerned, that was his whole life. Absalom was what made life meaningful to him. Can I tell you why the world wants to hear the whole news? Why they need to hear the whole news? Because their entire life depends on it. I'm talking about whether their marriages hold together. I'm talking about whether the children uh, turn out. I'm talking about whether their life has meaning and has purpose and has joy. I'm saying we're living in a broken and bankrupt world. You know why they'd be willing to hear that bad news? Because they already know. They already know they're broken. They already know they're messed up. They already know their life ain't worth living. And they just want something that's going to make life meaningful. If we're going to tell the news, we need to tell the whole news. I thought about this phrase that you hear in a court of law all the time. The truth. The whole truth. And nothing but the truth. You know what I'm afraid? we got the bookends of that right. We're willing to tell the truth. We're willing to tell nothing but the truth. But are we willing to tell the whole truth? In tenderness, in kindness, in gentleness and tactfulness, but in boldness nonetheless to carry the message to this world. Not only the good news that God loves them, that Christ died for them, that He rose the third day. Of course they must know that. But they also must know all that that implies. If He, listen, if He loves them, it's because they need to be loved. If He died for them, it's because they were dying already. If He rose again the third day, it's because they need new life. If they have a Savior, it'll only be because they are a sinner and in need of a Savior. If you won't tell, and if I won't tell, it won't be told. So the question is, what are we doing to share this glorious truth? Let's bow together this morning. The altar is open. And here's what I think would be a good thing, is if God's people whose hearts have been stirred by the truth of the Gospel would make a commitment in their hearts to the Lord as the Holy Ghost permits them to say, I'm going to commit in my life to be more active and deliberate in the sharing of the Gospel. Telling people that God loves them, that He died for them, but telling them that without Christ there is no hope. And that He can give them hope and that He is their hope. And that we would be more deliberate, more intentional in our sharing of the Gospel day by day. Father, I pray that You bless this invitation. I pray that your people get help and that Christ be magnified. We ask it in His name.